Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kian Bextie. If you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber. That gets you access to the video version of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, and as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. Thanks so much for listening, and now enjoy the show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, we fought the law, and guess what? We won. Sheila Gunn-Reed will weigh in on her downright surreal battle with Alberta's elections commissioner, who apparently had a problem with our Sheila advertising her best-selling book, even though she had every right to do so, you won't want to miss this story which highlights the latest attack on free speech by a vindictive bureaucrat. And is it hate speech if a child protests the wearing of rainbow-colored poppies to commemorate Remembrance Day? Well, apparently one school official in Manitoba thinks so. Just will you hear what Kian Bextie found out? And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding Gary McHale's attempt to criminally charge Justin Trudeau via a private prosecution regarding the lav scam scandal. Hey, if the Mounties can't be bothered to do so, thankfully there are some concerned citizens in our great dominion who do indeed care about the rule of law. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. I've got some fantastic news to share with you today about my battle with Alberta's Elections Commissioner. It's been a fight for free speech. But our good news also comes with a pretty ominous insinuation. Something I feel is a bit of a threat from the Elections Commissioner, Lorne Gibson. And we've also got a very heavy financial burden. But first, let's get to the good news. We won! Or at least we won this battle this time. For those of you who haven't been following my very near prosecution for writing a political book about Rachel Notley's NDP, I'll give you a brief synopsis to bring you up to speed because there's a lot going on. Now, last spring, I wrote a book critical of Alberta's then-socialist NDP government called Stop Notley. It was information I felt the Alberta public needed to know at a time when it was most relevant to them before the election, before they voted. I used really clever lawn signs as a guerrilla marketing campaign as well as a roadside billboard to promote my book because unlike mainstream media journalists, I'm never going to get any glowing reviews in the Globe and Mail or in McLean's magazine. 
And my campaign worked. My book became the most popular book on Alberta politics in 2019. It was a success by any measure, and it made all the right people mad, and that made me happy. Now let's talk about the elections commissioner. The year previous, Notley created a new officer in charge of political crimes and monitoring political speech called the elections commissioner. His name is Lorne Gibson. He's a leftist activist who sued conservatives in his personal capacity before he was laughed out of court. He was the perfect fit for this weaponized bureaucracy tasked with censoring Notley's political enemies. So a premier creates a commissioner whose ostensible role is to go after ideas that the premier and her ilk deem to be offensive or rude or (laughs) simply contrary to their ideology. First, it was our billboards that were targeted by the Notley Thought Police. Then it was our lawn signs advertising Sheila Gunn-Reed's best-selling book. Makes you wonder, did this actually occur in the province of Alberta or the Democratic People's Republic of Korea? And joining me now with more on a story that has a happy ending, albeit a bittersweet one, is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Always, always a pleasure. So, Sheila, before I get into the amount of legal fees this cost us to fight, why was the Notley government acting in such a draconian fashion over some billboards and book signage in the first place? Don't they believe in freedom of expression? Is this a trick question? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know, Notley, last year, sort of in the lead up to the coming election, she was trying to rig the process in her favor. She created this bureaucracy called the Elections Commissioner. And basically what the Elections Commissioner does is monitor the political speech of non-politicians, so what they call third-party advertisers. But we're not a third-party advertiser, and I think the rules regarding third-party advertisers are too tough anyways, because money in today's day and age really is your free speech. It allows you to get your message out there. So this bureaucracy monitors what is uh, political spending and political speech. That's what they do. And 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 so... Oh, sorry, Sheila, and it seems that um, what they were, you know, basing this witch hunt on was that a sign advertising a book might be, could be construed as an election sign, even though it clearly said buy the book, it wasn't endorsing any candidate or any political party. And for that reason alone, uh, they built a case against uh, Rebel News And you in particular, because I remember that ex-cop personally phoning you, even though we had lawyered up by that point. Yeah, I mean, and I had already informed him, this is my lawyer, this is who it is, but he kept insisting on talking to me. There's a special exemption in the law that is for books, and the promotion of books. And that's exactly what my signs were. It said, buy the book right across the bottom. Um, I'm sorry if people aren't bright enough to read past Stop Notley and see buy the book. But a week after Notley lost the election in a catastrophic way, we get a letter to 
um, the office in Toronto saying that I'm being investigated for breaking elections finance laws, despite this very specific exemption for books, um, it was really quite uh, uh, petty, really, because what came out of it was over six months of legal fees, back and forths, and threats. If they were investigating the lawn signs, why was this ex-cop making demands to see my planning emails for the book, any sort of planning documents for the book, editorial emails for the book? He wasn't asking about the signs, and these were all things that he shouldn't even been have been asking me anyways. These were questions for my publisher, which is Rebel News. He wasn't asking the publisher, he was coming after the author, which as you rightly point out is exactly the sort of thing they do in North Korea or China or uh, Venezuela, you know, and we know the NDP have a special place in their heart for Venezuela. And of course, you had the good fortune uh, to uh, record these phone calls. I mean, that, that investigator, this ex-cop, and by the way, if anyone wants to know why he's an ex-cop, you can <laughs> Google his name uh, and you, that'll tell you um, a somewhat sor sorted story about this individual. But um, you recorded these calls and to me, Sheila, he came across almost as a, a passive-aggressive bully yeah. uh, in his dealings with you. But the thing is, I think the absolute most egregious thing is that by the letter of the law, we were right, they were wrong, but when the elections commissioner filed his, his final report about this, um, based, I'm paraphrasing now, but it was along the lines of, uh, okay, we're going to let you off, but don't you dare do this again. And it was kind of like we went to court for crossing the street on a green light, which is legal, and the judge saying, okay, we'll let it slide this time, but don't do that in the future. Hey, it's legal. What do you mean don't do it in the future? For, I want to get your take on that, Sheila. And secondly, do you think, because I don't trust these people, do you think no. they're going to tinker with the legislation so that they do have a proviso to make what you did indeed illegal in the future? Well, you know, it's funny that you use the analogy about crossing the street because my husband used the analogy of, you know, you've been clocked going 80 on the highway and the speed limit is 100 and they still pull you over for speeding and then make you go to court and fight the ticket. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, you paraphrased what the uh, elections commissioner said to our lawyers, but I just pulled it up on my computer what exactly it is. He said, I encourage Sheila Gunn-Reed to exercise caution in the manner in which she advertises her books during an election period. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, I mean, it's so crazy because we're in complete and total compliance with the law. So what do I have to be cautious about? Um, this is the creepy part, though. It says, fortunately for Sheila Gunn-Reed, my office is only able to enforce the legislation as it is currently written. What do you mean, fortunately for me? That's how <laughs> that's how uh, civilized society works, that the people bound with enforcing the law must enforce the law as it is written and they just can't make it up as they go along that's a pretty ominous warning and we know um our lawyers actually let us know that lauren gibson has that's the elections commissioner he's made 
very specific recommendations to Jason Kenney's government um, to change certain things in the law um, that look like they're directed at dealing with the rebel. Um, so, I mean, he would love another kick at the can here, um, and he would love to see the law change specifically so that he can carry out this weirdo vendetta against us, um, but it doesn't sound like he's going to get those changes on his wish list that he wants. Well, thank goodness for that. You know, Sheila, and what he said in that written decision, it's almost like a, uh, a baseball player going down swinging in the ninth inning and uh, that loses the game. And then him saying, but you know what? If baseball were 10 innings long, <laughs> we might have been able to come back. You know, could have, might have, should have. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is baffling. But Sheila, I said it's a bittersweet ending to this yeah. because yes, you won. And we won this battle clearly, but in terms of the war, and I refer to this in the big picture, we spent tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees just to prove that we were in the right, we were following the letter of the law. And I mean, uh, to me, there's a little bit of injustice here because of course the other yeah. side is just um, taking their uh, legal fees from that bottomless trough called the, uh, the taxpayer. Um, is going ahead, is there any way to, that we might recover the, these legal, is there any mechanism to get true justice this way? Not really. I mean, that's the real problem with the elections commissioner. I mean, besides the free speech issues, this bureaucracy is set up so that these fines and these findings of guilt can be made without ever having to go before a judge. So because of that, we didn't get a fine because we lawyered up and we fought it, but we are still left with $75,000 in legal fees just to keep the government from interrogating me, a journalist, about a book I wrote that was critical of the government of the day. I mean, that should be an outrage to any free-thinking, freedom-minded individual in the Western world. It really should, but it's not because a lot of people, uh, their idea of freedom is contingent on who it's being applied to. Um, but this elections commissioner, they are really the cops, the prosecutor, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. I'll use an example of somebody else who's been investigated here. Um, Jeff Calloway, he was uh, a leadership contender for uh, the UCP. He's been accused of having a kamikaze uh, candidacy. So he's been accused, and I don't want to say that uh, he's guilty of that. He's been accused of... Uh, being sort of the attack vehicle for Jason Kenney to attack Brian Jean so that Jason Kenney could get his hands clean. Jeff Calloway has had nearly a quarter of a million dollars worth of fines levied against him, and that doesn't even include his legal fees. So that's levied against him and people associated with his campaign. Now, rightly or wrongly, whatever you think of Jeff Calloway's guilt or innocence, none of that ever went before a judge. A quarter of a million dollars, that's an utter abomination, and that flies in the face of Canadian sense of justice. And yet, this bureaucracy is just running rampant targeting conservatives and you know either you can lawyer up and pay 
$75,000 in legal fees. I can't even imagine what Jeff Calloway's legal fees are. Or you can just start taking fines because these activist investigators get to decide whether or not they investigate you all the way through to the execution of the fines. And it is utterly insane. You know, Sheila, you got my blood boiling because this non-elected, unaccountable bureaucracy, which has a vendetta, let's face it, yeah, against let's be real. certain people, um, even when they are wrong and we prove them wrong, it's almost as though, Sheila, the, the going through the process is the penalty. I mean, for yeah. example, if you know, we didn't have uh, Ezra Levant, a free speech champion, willing to go uh, the distance fighting this. If you were, say, a freelancer and um, yeah. you, you didn't have uh, the resources of um, the rebel and our, our generous donors, um, you would have to bend the knee or basically uh, you know, mortgage your house. And, and, and this is what's infuriating. Uh, you can be right uh, in terms of the letter of the law, but they're going to get you in terms of financial prosecution. Yeah, I mean, at the very beginning of this, the legislation is perfectly crystal clear. It doesn't include books. And yet they still proceeded with an investigation because they got, I suppose, dozens and dozens of nuisance complaints from NDP activists. That's another thing in all of this. I don't even get to see what the complaints were against me or for that matter, who is making the complaints against me. So unlike the rest of the justice system, I don't get to confront my accusers. I don't get to know who my accusers are. I just have to hunker down and take it. Um, but yeah, without Ezra and his, you know, his unwavering desire to always fight for free speech and our generous donors who stepped up and helped every step of the way and recognize that this is truly a fight for free speech, I don't know where I would be. I probably would have been left with no choice um, to just take the first fine they gave me and hand over my notes because this is a burden I could never have asked my family to bear. Unbelievable. Sheila, we'll have to wrap it there. Just one exit question. Um, this was a creature created by Rachel Notley's government uh, years ago. Uh, there's been regime change in your province, thankfully, of course. I can't imagine Premier Kenny is a fan of this office and the way it's behaving. Does this mean that this uh, thing can be undone and we, Alberta can go back to the way things were before there was this egregious elections commissioner? I would love to see that happen, although it doesn't sound that way, um, especially given the constant investigations going on with the aforementioned Jeff Calloway and his links to Jason Kenney's leadership campaign. It's just a political hot potato for Jason Kenney. He can't be perceived to be squashing this bureaucracy when it's sort of investigating him. It just, just would be optically terrible. So I, I suppose it's left up to people like us here at the Rebel and some other groups who are um, interested in a constitutional challenge of the elections commissioner, because it seems to be violating a lot of constitutional laws um, that uh, weren't even considered um, before its creation, which is unsurprising considering the NDP created it. Wow. Well, the Rachel, gov uh, Rachel Notley government is gone, but it seems that in some uh, instances, uh, Sheila, their stench remains. And it's, yeah. 
and maybe you know for a, a long time for the reasons you outlined. Sheila, thank you so much and uh, congratulations on this fantastic victory, regardless of the cost and time it took to fight this battle. Thanks, David. And if anybody wants to see our uh, communications with the elections commissioner, our legal back and forth, or to see the full story, including listening to some of those recordings I had with that investigator, they can go to SaveSheila.com. And have a great weekend, David. Fantastic. And I can think of no other person you'd want to save in this world than Sheila Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sheila. And folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. I'm here today at the Stonewall Collegiate School in Stonewall, Manitoba. It's become the center of a poppy-related controversy where a student ended up getting expelled for posting posters around the school saying that she wants the poppy to remain the poppy that every Canadian knows and honours. Members of the faculty wanted Natalie and her school friends to don an abridged version of the poppy, an LGBT rainbow version of the poppy, and Natalie simply wasn't having any of it. I caught up with Natalie and her father earlier today. Natalie, would you be able to tell me how this all started? Um, it started when a few teachers and students started to try to force their beliefs and their ways of living onto us by saying that we should wear a multicolored poppy during our Remembrance Day service today at school. Um, but I feel strongly against it. My grandparents, they fought in the war. They might not have died, but like they still did it. So that, that has a big impact on my life. And um, so I decided that I would go to school, type up some papers of my opinions and how I was feeling and my beliefs about it. And I went around and I taped them up on the walls of the school and they instantly got taken down. And the principals pulled me into the office and began to yell at me and accuse me of hate crime and hate speech. Well, I know what you're thinking, folks. That new and not so improved poppy is so, so wrong on so, so many levels. First, some presumably woke educrat decides he's going to promote a rainbow-colored poppy, meaning, of course, it no longer resembles the Legion-approved poppy whatsoever. And then when a couple of students put up posters decrying this poppy vandalism, they are suspended and get accused of, <laughs> wait for it, hate speech. But how is taking a principled stance hateful? How is doing the right thing, i.e. standing up for Poppy Classic, an act of hate speech? Well, joining me now is our roving reporter, Kian Bexty, who went to Manitoba to get to the bottom of this sordid story. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me, David. You got it. Always a pleasure, my friend. So, Kian, so many angles, so many head-spinning details pertaining to this awful story, but first things first, just what the heck was the impetus for the school deciding to desecrate the poppy in the first place? I mean, you did a story on this two years ago, I think. <laughs> uh, you were laughing at the idea of a rainbow poppy. Uh, and your story became reality. It didn't <laughs> take long fiction to become fact. I actually couldn't believe it when I heard it, because it wasn't just the school that started 
uh, talking about it first. There was rumblings throughout social media that this was kind of this cool new poppy, this rainbow-colored uh, poppy that was somehow, uh, you know, was for the LGBT community that was fighting uh, in World War One and World War Two. And then this school decided, I guess, it would be a good thing to promote. And then Natalie wasn't having any of it and started putting up posters. And once she put up posters, she was suspended uh, within a few hours. You know, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and by the way, just to fill in the gaps there, Kian, yeah, back in 2016, you know, we used to do a little segment called Generation Trudeau on campus. And we went to Ryerson University, probably one of the most progressive woke campuses in Canada. And the idea was that we came up with four new poppies. We were just making things up as outrageous as we could be. And one was a rainbow colored LGBT uh, poppy. And I have to say, I have to give kudos to the kids on campus for a change. The vast majority said, no, that's not cool. The traditional poppy is the way it should be left. But like you said, three years later, an outrageous goof on my part becomes reality. But here's the thing, Kian. When it comes to this poppy, the classic red and black poppy, by very definition, it is inclusive. This is all about remembering the war dead. There's no asterisk. There's no caveat saying uh, this is about the straight men and women who gave their lives on the battlefield in World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, and so so forth. It, it doesn't exclude anybody. So I think an LGBT rainbow-colored poppy is a solution looking for a problem that does not exist. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Everybody bleeds red. Uh, and that's what the poem was written for, you know, in Flanders Fields, um, where the poppies are growing. It's not rainbow poppies that are growing. It's, you know, the red represents the blood that was spilled by our soldiers, uh, and the black represents the widows that were left behind. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think that this this rainbow poppy is an affront to everything that we value uh, as a Western country because it's not it's not just this you know, day November 11th, right? The whole lead up to this, our, our honoring of our former soldiers, they they're trying to corrupt this for their own current year political agenda is what I call it. The current year, you know, whatever the fad is, and right now it's the LGBT poppy. Um, it's the LGBT community in general. And you know what's interesting, David? I was actually at Stonewall Collegiate yesterday speaking to the students of the school uh, and the principal and the superintendent, and the students of the school were outraged by this. They thought it was despicable that Natalie was suspended, first off, but they also thought that the rainbow-colored poppy was despicable. And this was coming from LGBT students themselves. I interviewed two of them um, there were these young ladies, I think they were in grade 11, and they said, you know, even as a member of the community, they thought that this showed just the most disrespect to uh, our fallen, fallen veterans. So I think that there's still some faith in the students uh, in Generation Z, the Zoomers that are coming up. I don't think they're the problem. I don't think the LGBT community is the problem here either. The people that are pushing this are all straight middle-aged women and some men who have too much time on their hands. That's where this is coming from. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll 
No, I, I think you're absolutely right, Keen. It's an ongoing trend. I mean, uh, many years ago, I, I, I uncovered a memo. It was, it was leaked to me, and it was the Toronto District School Board putting out six reasons why Halloween, of all things, isn't so much fun. And they were outrageous reasons. And when I went to the school board to find out who complained, how many complaints did they get, the answer was zero. So basically, this was a little star chamber at the TDSB dreaming up ideas that might be, could be, perhaps will be offensive to, to certain individuals or groups that didn't exist. So I, I totally agree. These are people with too much time on their hands trying to dream up ways to be non-offensive when there's no offense in the first place. But Ken, what I want to get to you, uh, uh, what I want to get more information about is when Natalie and her friend put up these posters, there was no kind of hateful language I could see in these posters, and yet they're suspended on the principle of hate speech just for standing up for the traditional poppy. Kian, to me, that is an outrageous stretch of the definition of hate speech. You're absolutely right about that, David. Section 319 of the Criminal Code, in case any of the viewers want to look it up, uh, it very explicitly defines what hate speech is. And now whether or not you believe hate speech should be regulated in the criminal code. It's not the point here. This, this poster that she put up doesn't even meet the most broad definition of hate speech. Perhaps the most edgy thing she said there was keep it in your pants. Is that hate speech in 2019, David? I don't think so. And, and you know, the other uh, factor here, Kian, is could you imagine the outrage, if we reverse things, I'm coming up with another goof uh, here, but, but it, it's kind of a scenario that's the reverse of what happened. Say there was a gay pride parade and members of the Canadian Legion uh, went up and down the spectators asking to confiscate their rainbow-colored flags and giving them a little flag with a, with a poppy on it. Could you imagine the howls of outrage and uh, homophobia, transphobia that would result from that kind of social engineering? Yeah, this kind of thing works one way uh, and not the other. These, these people who are, I was saying, uh, are just cooking this stuff up just because they have too much time on their hands. That's partly the reason, they, but I think what motivates them is the outrage that ensues. It's like crack to them. Uh, seeing this story blow up, I'm sure, just made them so happy because they know that they're sticking it to the middle-aged white man, you know? But at the end of the day, they're just in it for the outrage. It's outrage culture. They just get a high from it. Um, whereas, you know, we don't. We let them go do their own thing. If they want to go march in a pride parade, go ahead. If you want to uh, fly a rainbow flag on your property, go right ahead, we're not going to bother you. But to them, to the leftists, um, to the straight, middle-aged, social justice warriors, anything they can do to outrage the mainstream gets them off. You know, I think you're right about that, Kian. And I think right now they're already in their little war rooms thinking, where else can we push the envelope? Hey, maybe they're going to do a rainbow-colored Santa Claus costume, you know. And, and again, it would be, uh, you know, Santa Claus. I'm not, I'm, I'm not comparing. 
I'm not comparing Santa to Remembrance Day, but I mean, that's just a make-believe construct. But again, the principle stands. Nothing in the Santa legend says this guy flies around the world on Christmas Eve giving straight kids presents, right? You know, so again, it's trying to create an issue that um, doesn't exist. You know, Kian, I got to tell you, your epilogue to the story had my blood boiling. And that was, I believe it was at Global and CTV News were, um, you know, investigating this as a story, as well as as it should, because it's one hell of a story, especially for this time of year with Remembrance Day on Monday. And it looks like um, they've abandoned it. They're not going forward with it. Why? I mean, did you ever trust the mainstream media to cover a story such as this? I was in the parking lot uh, interviewing Natalie. It was parking lot of a McDonald's in Winnipeg. And immediately after, uh, well, actually, I arrived, and then immediately after, Global News arrived, and I made them wait out in the cold for about 30 minutes while I interviewed <laughs> Natalie and her father, and that made me feel a little bit good. Uh, and then when I wrapped up, the Global News guy came and started conducting his own interview, taking his own pictures, so I know they did it. I know for a fact that they were onto the story, but once the interview didn't turn out the way they wanted, I guess, they said, yeah, we're not even going to publish something on it, and now... The problem is, it makes um, it makes Natalie feel like maybe she is in the wrong. Maybe she is guilty of hate speech. She's just a high school girl. And when the mainstream media, Global News and CTV say, yeah, we're not going to cover this story, you're some sort of villain, almost. Uh, that that it cuts deep to a, to a young woman. Uh, so that's why I am uh, creating a petition. It's called protectourpoppies.ca plural, protectourpoppies.ca, we're signing this letter of support for Natalie, we're signing this letter of support for our original poppy, for the way it was intended uh, to be worn and represented to um, honor our fallen soldiers, Uh, and we're going to send that letter to Natalie so that she knows, A, she's not alone, Canadians are on her side, and actually even we got a few letters from Scotland, we got some from uh, the United States. People around the world actually support Natalie and her, uh, you know, her standing up for the values of free speech, freedom of expression, and standing up for the poppy. So we're going to send it to Natalie. We're going to also send this petition to um, the school administration so that they know how off base they are with the rest of the world. This isn't how Canadians operate. Canadians respect their veterans and they respect people who stand up for free speech and free expression. So that's what I want to show Natalie. So I encourage your viewers to go sign that petition at Protect Our Poppies. You know, Ian, I, I think that's an, a fantastic initiative on your part because I can tell you, I mean, you and I, we've, we've got pretty tough skin given the kind of stuff we have to deal with on, on a daily basis. But I remember what it was like in high school. I mean, the high school was your world, your universe, and you were very susceptible to what others thought of you or said about you, I can empathize, you know, with, with, with what, you know, uh, Natalie is going through. So I think showing her that the vast majority of people out there are on her side will be fantastic, um, you know, if she's suffering from any stress for this outrageous um, uh, issue. And the second thing is, Kian, um, what these educrats don't understand, I think, is that when you talk to people at the Legion, there is a very certain protocol of how a poppy should be worn. Uh, when you start wearing a poppy, when you take it off. 
Um, it's all codified. And for them to say, we're going to give this a slick new paint job, you know, Kian, I can only imagine what veterans in the Legion halls across our dominion are thinking about this in the first place. And, and, and you know, I want to get your thoughts on that because I think ultimately what, they were tr- what they've really done in trying to be inclusive when there was no inclusivity issue at play is to outright disrespect the veterans. I think that's an excellent question. And uh, next time I see a veteran, I'll certainly ask them. Maybe on camera too. Uh, maybe I'll go to the Legion. I have a membership actually to the Legion. I encourage everyone to get one. Uh, because it's a great place to be, cheap beer, and you get to hear great stories from great people. Uh, so when I do go, I'll, uh, I'll maybe have to ask, maybe I'll pull up my camera and see what they think. Fantastic. Well, Kian, a fantastic story. I urge all our uh, viewers to go and, and watch the, uh, the full report. So thank you so much for that. Thanks, David. And you know what? I'm going to save this episode. And when I see a rainbow Santa in the near future, I'm sure <laughs> I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> Well, Kian, as I've always said, this is why Mad Magazine went out of business in August. You can't parody real life anymore, so I'll take the blame for that. So thank you again for a great piece, Kian. All right. Talk to you later. Gotcha. And that was Kian Bexty in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More Rebel Roundup to come right after this. If we can just back this up a second, a lot of people across Canada are probably scratching their heads and wondering, with the preponderance of evidence against Justin Trudeau, where, oh, where is the RCMP in this? Why? I mean, private prosecution is one thing, but why isn't the why aren't the Mounties involved in this, Gary? Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I don't know a single case within my lifetime of the police holding any politicians accountable. We don't seem to do that in this country. Uh, it didn't take me too long on the internet to download enough evidence that uh, Justin Trudeau had committed obstruction of justice. Uh, there's public testimony by the, uh, by the previous Attorney General. There's been an investigation by the Ethics Commissioner. Like there's a, a mountain of evidence, both recorded phone calls, so you actually have uh, first-hand evidence of what, who said what to whom, and so if I, as a private citizen, within a few hours can gather enough evidence to have the charge uh, laid and, and would be successful in, in a trial, I can't see how the RCMP takes uh, six months or a year or even longer to uh, do what I can do on the Internet just through Google search. It's truly incredible. In the fallout of the SNC-Lavalin scandal, Justin Trudeau was never convicted of anything or, heck, even charged with anything. Rather he was rewarded with another term in office. But while the Mounties seemed to be asleep at the switch for whatever unspoken reason, that didn't stop Gary McHale from filing a private prosecution against the Prime Minister in provincial court in Ottawa on Monday. Alas, it didn't go anywhere, although McHale plans on filing an appeal. But unlike the cops, at least Gary McHale is trying to get a measure of justice when it comes to lab scam. In any event, here's what some of you had to say about one man's quest to have Justin Trudeau answer for his indiscretions. Pilot Barbie writes, this guy is a hero. We need to support his efforts. You know, I agree, Pilot Barbie, and it should be noted that this is not merely a stunt 
Gary McHale has successfully used private prosecutions against other institutions in the past. It's just that with this matter, he's going up against the most powerful man in the country, but not even the Prime Minister should be above the law. Pam Murphy writes, Thanks, Gary and Rebel News. In my opinion, the RCMP pick and choose whom they investigate, and that's why they have lost all honour and credibility. Well, you know, Pam, I think a growing number of Canadians feel exactly the same way you do. How sad. Decades ago, the Mounties were the gold standard when it came to law enforcement, but perhaps those days are gone. And Aubrey Young writes, it should be obvious to anyone at this point that the Crown and the RCMP are not here to pursue justice and uphold the rule of law. They are here to subjugate the peasants while protecting the ruling class of elites, allowing them to go unchecked while they commit crimes against us. Hey, you know something, Aubrey? Some days it sure does seem that way, doesn't it? Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in. And remember, folks, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.